Welcome to the Fortune Management Practice Mastery Podcast. Each episode, we bring you powerful conversations with thought leaders in the dental, veterinary, optometry, and medical industries. At Fortune Management, we coach doctors and teams to have an extraordinary practice and an extraordinary life. I'm Kim McGuire, host of the Practice Mastery Podcast. In this special episode, the celebrity dentist Howard Ferran from Dentaltown interviews me for his podcast. I thought it would be fun for our listeners to hear it as well. Howard has had his own dental practice in the Phoenix, Arizona area since 1987, and he now has a media empire consisting of Dentaltown Magazine, Dentaltown.com, HygieneTown.com, OrthoTown.com, as well as his own podcast, Dentistry Uncensored. And now enjoy our conversation. It is a huge honor today to be interviewing a legend in dentistry, Kim McGuire, who's been with Fortune Management for 15 years. And Fortune Management is huge. Now, it's been around 26 years. It was started by Bernie Stoltz as the CEO out in San Jose. And you're in Denver, and I'm so glad I'm doing this because I'm interviewing you two days before the Super Bowl of your Denver Broncos and the uh, who they play in, the uh, Carolina Panthers. There, I'm going on the record saying I love Peyton Manning, just love him to death. But, man, there's no one on in, in the solar system that could beat Cam Newton. <laughs> I, know, I know. Yeah, this podcast is going to be released after the Super Bowl, so I'm making no predictions. But I do know that uh, we're ha- people are having a lot of fun in Denver right now. There's a lot of orange like my kids are going to school in orange. All my clients are wearing their Peyton Manning jerseys. So it's a lot of fun. We'll see what happens. And, and your your company, Fortune Management, also has a sister company, HygieneMastery.com with Shannon Richkowski. Yes, and her amazing team of coaches. Uh-huh. So, so, um, so you've been you've been consulting your dad is a dentist so you were you were born in a dentistry and we 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 see that every time i lecture in a dental school i say raise your hand if someone in your family is a dentist or a hygienist and a third of the hands go up so you still uh, but it was the same growing up in kansas i mean um all my friends that are my age from high school that are wheat farmers well their daddy was a wheat farmer their grandfather you know a dairy farmer so family business is really the backbone of the 7 billion, 300 million uh, monkeys around the world. Uh, I, you know, it's true. I mean, if you're born in Ethiopia and your dad's a goat farmer, what are you going to be? Exactly. Yeah. I mean, you know, goats. I mean, so, so you grew up in dentistry, you've been consulting for 15 years. Um, what, what problems does fortune management, what, what are you seeing on a daily basis for the last 15 years um, that that's fixable? What, what, what stuff where they call up Kim and Kim goes in there and says, okay, here's your five problems, and uh, we we like to fix these three. You know what I mean? What, what, what do you like to fix? What do you see it, and what do you like to fix? Well, first of all, I just want to say that we did have a couple of other co-founders. There's a Renee Schubert and a Paul Bass and a Gary McLeod who founded Fortune, along with Tony Robbins, which we can talk about, who you had on your podcast a couple of weeks ago, which was an amazing interview. Um, but I would say actually that, you know, you know, what would be cool. Do you know, on these Skypes you can have, how many can we have at one time? <laughs> a party for, well, well, you know, what would be really cool. Get all the, get all the co all the co-founders. That would be awesome. And, and then the, um, because 90% of the listeners to a podcast is audio only, you know, most of it's iTunes. Um, Fewer is uh, YouTube and Dentaltown, but but 
we can have all of, you know, six, seven, eight of them call in. That would be a great be awesome podcast. And, and, and maybe Tony would even get come back and get in on that. He might. He might. Well, and the, the, so the reason why I bring that up was partly because I want to acknowledge our amazing co-founders, but also that is really our special sauce. So we really wear kind of three different hats in Fortune as an executive coach. So we are coaches, and that is really taking the Tony Robbins technology that we're licensed to teach and helping to coach a client and, and their team. Um, we also are practice management specialists where we help with systems and we help to implement running a solid business. And then we're also key business strategists where we're helping doctors with things like, are they going to bring in multi-specialty or are they going to open up a new practice or when do they bring on an associate? You know, really those key business questions that they have. But really what we see that is really our uh, differentiation and what, how we can help people as we're helping them with their communication and their mindset and really who they're being with their team and their patients. Because, you know, you can go to the best dental school and you can graduate top of your class and you can go to all the CE in the world. But if you don't have great business systems and if you don't have great communication skills, you're not going to be successful. And Howard, you know this better than anyone. So um, it's really that communication and really that personal growth and development that people take on that makes their practice just, just go leaps and bounds. So, well, well, I can tell your dad was a dentist and you've been doing this for 15 years and a company that's been doing it 26 years because every dentist believes the exact opposite. They believe that if they go to an Institute and buy a laser or a CAD cam or a shiny toy, it's going to come back and fix all their problems. And what's silly is that has nothing to do with anything. Those are toys. Exactly. And, and, and I have found some of the most amazing offices in the world, and they don't have CAD cam, they don't place lasers, they don't do surgeries, they don't do implants, they, don't, they just do fillings and crowns, but they have amazing amazing, team, yeah. amazing systems, and they make bank just doing family <laughs> totally. dentistry. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that uh, that was one of the things that I did learn from my father. I mean, he was an excellent, he is an excellent clinician, but he has great communication skills. People loved who he is. And then he started working with Fortune and that really helped him take his practice to a whole nother level where he and my mom could retire and he and Bernie kept in touch. Um, But I really do think that it's funny. We talk about having it be a family business, even though I'm not a dentist myself, I am so honored to be working in this industry where I can affect other practices and affect other teams and then affect, of course, those patients. And that is really what it is. It's those communication skills. And it's really about who you're being first. It's not what you're doing. It's who you're being. And I know Tony talked about that on on your podcast about really it's not just about the science of achieving things and achieving things all the time. It's about the art of fulfillment and being fulfilled and loving what you do and giving back. That's what really makes a difference in people's lives. And just to be clear, you're not paying me to be on my show. You're talking to thousands, Dennis. I'm volunteering. You're volunteering. No money's changing hand. There's no one makes a dime off the podcast. But he, here's what I want you to do. Um, you're talking to thousands of dentists. Almost all of them right now are commuting to work. And my problem have been in here 20 years. Everybody who needs a consultant doesn't get one. And then everybody using consultants are trying to go from a million five to two million. But I want, but I'm trying to get the reason I'm doing this because I'm trying to get the people suffering doing 400, 500 and burned out and want to quit. Some of them start drinking or eating Vicodin or kill themselves. So I, I want you to paint a picture there. I, I know how, I know how my homies think they're thinking, well, how much does this cost? And I can't afford it, but they'll go afford a laser or a CBCT or whatever. So how much do you cost and what do you fix? Try to paint a picture so that one of my homies driving to work, paint a picture to say, Dude, you know this is your problem in your office. 
This is a fixable problem. Um, call, go to my website, Fortune Management. It's fortunemgmt.com, or they can email Kim McGuire at Fortune Management. And I, I love you because I'm 100% Irish, and with the last name McGuire, you got to be a mech. Uh, that's Kim, M-C-G-U-I-R-E at Fortune Management. Paint the, paint the scenario, paint the picture so that they say, yeah, that's going to my office. What does it cost? How do they solve it? Because I just want them. I just want my homies to be happy and healthy and make bank, pay back their student loans and, and then have the money. So if you want to learn sinus list by Tatum, then have the money to fly to France and put your spouse on the Mediterranean while you go learn, uh, you know, Hilt Tatum sinus list, whatever. That's all fun. I love that, but that's not the basis that gets you there. So, so do that. Well, first of all, we would say, we always say that, you know, if we're going to give you a diagnosis without uh, looking at, at the, at the mouth, we can't, we can't really do that. So we have to look at each practice individually, but anywhere from uh, two to $3,000 a month we charge. And we are very much into having a relationship with people and we cover, it covers the gamut. It's really the most intense postgraduate program out there. So we have, not only do we have in-house workshops, we typically have a local coach that works with the practice. So we're not flying people in. You have a local coach and you typically go through what's called our training university. So we have five two-day training universities that cover the whole entire gamut of running a dental practice. It's like getting a dental MBA, and I know you have your MBA, but it's like getting a dental MBA and not just the systems and the marketing, but the like we were talking about earlier, the communication skills that will take your practice to the next level. But let me tell you, Howard, we've got to pay for ourselves. We, we've got to make sure that the doctor is making at least that much more in order to pay for, for the program. Um, we have a special, you know, uh, coaching calls. We are, we have a monitoring system. We have access to a ton of other companies that will help people out with, whether it's HR or creating an in-office benefits program. And we have all these different resources but the biggest thing is, and Tony talks about this a lot, it's a modeling program. We're not reinventing the wheel here. There's a specific things that you can do to help grow your practice. And there's lots of different, and we, we look at like the five business engines. So it really starts out with your vision. And I know you talk about this, Howard, on your podcast and with different folks that you have on, but it's really about doctor, how much money do you want to make? How hard do you want to work? Or how, what do you want your team to look like? What's your ideal patient look like? What do you, what does your facility look like? You've got to figure out what you want, because if you can't figure out what you want, we don't know where we're going and you can't coach anybody to, you know, unless you know where they're going. I mean, and it's easy to use these sports metaphors, especially the, the, um, the Super Bowls in a couple of days, but it's like, if a coach doesn't know where the team wants to go, we can't steer them. Now, Peyton Manning's coach isn't better than him, but he can show Peyton Manning where he might be off a little bit on his on his game. So a coach is somebody who helps you see maybe where you're steering off and not going where you want to go. Uh, but we really look at these five business engines. So one of them is your finance engine. We got to make sure that your finances are in line. And that's just not just taking a look at your P&L, which by the way, a lot of people are putting their heads in the sand and don't want to look at their profit and loss statement. You do a beautiful job in your book, Howard, on... Um, you know, showing people what a PL should look like and a balance sheet and everything. I, I was reading that part of the book the other day. But, and also looking at your relationships with your insurance companies, your fee schedules, your financial arrangements and policies. Are all those finance, those areas in that finance engine, are they running like they should be? 
We also need to take a look at these systems engines. There's tons of systems in a practice, and that's oftentimes where there's a breakdown in communication with systems. Anything from scheduling to goal to collecting money to work in the ARs, you've got lots and lots of different systems. Um, you know, the new patient experience, the new patient experience. People don't realize that you've got to figure out exactly how you want people to come to your practice. Reactivation. I hear doctors talking about all the time, I need more new patients. I need, need more new patients, more patients. They got to just reactivate the ones they already have back into the hygiene program. Those people have already bought you. They already love you. They already know your brand. Bring them back in. Don't let them fall out of the hygiene program. Another area of the five business engines would be our marketing. And I would say marketing is one of the um, big mysteries that practices have, that doctors, they don't understand marketing. And I always joke around with my dad because back in the day when he, he was practicing, you just put your name on the, on the door and people just came. It was just how it was. Not anymore. We have to brand. We have to, the whole client and patient experience, that wow experience for whatever your demographic is that you're serving, you've got to be amazing. So it's, it's um, internal marketing, external marketing, branding and identity. Of course, social media and digital media is a whole entire subject in and of itself. And then one thing I think that people forget about is case presentation and enrollment. Enrolling your patients in the treatment that they need is a part of marketing. And I think we get the patients in, but then sometimes we have trouble getting them to say yes to that treatment. And that is a, that's an art and a science all in and of itself. Um, we also need to take a look at our clinical and technology engine. So do you want to be doing Invisalign or placing your own implants or using a laser or using the CEREC? What do you want to do? What's your vision in the clinical area? Um, and then, of course, we have last but not least would be the people engine. And I think the people engine is really the most important because it's about the culture of your practice and how you all are interacting with each other, job descriptions, systems, all that. I know that I've got your book right here. You talk a lot about that with the people. The people side of things are, is really it's about the people being you, the doctor, the team that's around you and your patients and really connecting with people on a whole nother level. So that's really what, you know, we're looking at these five business engines. And the nice thing about this model, the five business engines, is that a typical practice is going to need to work on two or three at one time, not all of them. It's not like the sky is falling, right? So if we can work at two at a time or three at a time, whatever the case may be, we've got proven systems that work that can help you go to that next level. Okay, so, summarize succinctly. What are the five again? Okay, one is the finance engine. Okay, one is finance. Yep. Well, they're in no particular order, but one of them is the okay. finance engine. The systems. Okay. Marketing and sales. I know sales is a bad word in dentistry, but that's what it is. <laughs> Clinical and technology. And the people engine. Okay. And by the way, Howard, this is a model that's used, and this is from like a business book. This is not just dental specific. I don't care if you're a grocery store, a hair salon, Apple computer, you've got to make sure that you've got, you've got all engines running. Okay. So, so let's just call, let's just number. So one is finance. Sure. Two was what? Systems. Systems. And that includes scheduling collections, the new patient experience, all that stuff. Yep. Three would be marketing, marketing and sales, mm -hmm. um, including the, uh, new, um, the new patient experience would be under system. So marketing sells. Well, yeah, it, it's kind of, un, it, it's really under both. It's how do, how do patients enter your practice? Are you getting referrals? How are you externally, internally marketing your practice? Uh-huh. 
so so now I want to talk about um you know you you've been doing this um 16 years you said 15 16 years sure years. <laughs> yeah um in in your 15 years are are the problems different today than they were 15 years ago on these five systems um I think that that the landscape is changing a little bit when it comes to marketing and when it comes to customer service. I mean, well, customer service has always been important, but I think it's even more important. I'd love to ask you what, how you see the dental landscape changing, but I think that there are, you know, different forces that are happening. And one of them is the advances in technology is just going like gangbusters. So people are expecting that. I mean, we have the whole, our whole entire computer is on our phone now. So people are expecting the technology. Um, we also see um, increase in corporate dentistry and we're not poo-pooing corporate dentistry, but we just say, all right, doctor, if you own your own practice, let's figure out what corporate dentistry does well and let's model success. Let's get the same profit that they get. Let's expand our hours and have maybe multi-specialty. Um, there's lots of different things. So there's I think it's a little bit different. There's some different challenges that are going on right now. Um, and then, of course, digital communication is the third area that's really changing things. And that's because people like our friend Fred Joyelle talks about how, you know, word of thumb, people can write a review online about you and it's there forever. Whereas I used to tell my friend about Dr. Ferran and that would just be one on one person. But now I can tell the whole world using the Internet. So I think things are changing in those areas and the doctors need to, um, to be, to be aware of that. So, so what, what is your, is there any type of, um, average, uh, um, type of doctor calling you? I mean, what, 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 when, when your phone rings and they say, I need help, what, what is, what is the t some typical scenarios? Sure. Sure. Well, doctors come to us for a lot of different reasons. Some of them, obviously do want to make more money. A lot of people want to make more money, but money isn't always the driving force. Just like it's not always the first objection for your patients, by the way, um, for why they may or may not schedule their treatment. But they want to make more money, but oftentimes they want to have less stress. They want to have their team get along. I mean, we transform teams like no one else. I mean, we can create teamwork um, that's not just about surface teamwork because it's really looking at what's driving us and um, how, we, how we interact with people. So I also think that um, the teamwork, the, the people come because they want to have less stress. They want to bring on an associate. They want to um, bring on another day of hygiene, and they don't know how to do that. Maybe they want to open up another practice. Um, there's a lot of different reasons why people come to us. Would you say the number one reason that dentists call consultants is the, um, the stress from the team? Yes, Absolutely. What percent would you say is the number one problem is the stress from the team? And what percentage of that would be versus say, like, say finance, my overhead's high, I'm not making money. I need, you know, I more think that's the second. I think it's, yeah. so, I think it's so what, team. So T, what percent would the team be? Well, it's well over 50% has challenges yeah. with the team. Well over 50%. Yeah. yeah. So, so I always like to start there and I, I, I keep going back there because that's my number one complaint is like they, they want to learn how to bone graft and how to do a science. <laughs> right, right. And then, and then what keeps them up at night and what makes them want to puke is dealing with uh, the staff and or the, the patient. They can fix the, the rock in the mouth. They can do a root canal. They want to take all their courses and how to fix rocks. And they want to spend all their money investing in high technology rock fixing equipment. But the problem is the people the team. So I, I want you to address, I, I want you to address because the goal here, I mean, n neither of us are making a penny, 
the goal here is, is um, I believe the, um, the dentist is not either aware of the problem because after the root canal, the first thing they, the dentist always does, he walks right back to his office and closes the door. I mean, I never see that, you know, whereas on the Super Bowl, the coach will be walking up and down the field and his head will be right there on the goal line. And he's and he, they're just completely obsessed. And I see the dentist with loops on working in a rubber dam. And then as soon as it's done, walks in his office and closes the door and is aloof to all this stuff. And one of the reasons he doesn't want to deal with it is because it's just so damn stressful. So can you address some red flags about what, what is the staff doing that's a red flag that it's dysfunctional that you can go in there and help? Because I don't, I don't think he sees it or gets it or understands it. Or he would fix it if, if, if he knew what the hell was going on and he didn't want to fix it. Because I know I, I think consultants work is, I just want to sign a check and have you fix it. It's like when I go to a restaurant. You know, I'll decide if I'm going to eat steak or pizza. Then I'm going to give you a check to go make it. So what are the red flags? Well, paint, paint, paint the dysfunction of the staff that's causing the stress and what you that that you can call and go fix. Well, you know, I know the doctors that are driving to work right now and listening to this are not going to want to hear it, but I do believe it starts at the top and it starts with being them looking at themselves as a leader. They are they, they if they're owning their own practice or even if they're not, if, even if they're an associate working in a in any sort of situation, they are the doctor and they need to be a leader. And leadership can come in many different forms. Leadership does not need to be I stand up and give a speech. Leadership is how you're being with people. Leadership is uh, working on your emotional intelligence. And that's one of the things I know you know about this because you do a lot of reading. A lot of these doctors have very high IQ, but it's that EQ. And we can't really change our IQ. We're kind of born with our IQ, but our EQ, our emotional intelligence, and that's how we're relating to ourselves and then how we're relating to other people that we can increase. We can work on that. So that's, and that's really what our program is all about. It's really about how we're identifying our own feelings and dealing with them with other people. Because if you're just taking off your loops and going into your office to play solitaire, which by the way, I had a client one time do that and I basically fired him because I couldn't, it's like, you have to communicate with people. You've got to be with people. I think that it really starts with them. They've got to take a look and say, how am I being with my, not just what am I doing, but how am I being with my team that makes me, that makes them want to go to the next level, that makes them want to work harder, that makes them want to give a whole nother level of service. You know, what am I communicating to them about our vision? Am I giving them any incentives? Are we really, um, so that's kind of, I think it starts with them. They've got to take on leadership, like no kidding. Just like okay, they I'm take gonna, on I'm that throw some curveballs at you because I, I listen to these guys. Bit. Like I had breakfast this morning with three dentists. You know, so I, I hear all the bitch. So I'm just going to throw some of their bitch at you because because you're dealing with, um, in dental office, there, there's dentists that are from the, the greatest generation, the older ones. Um, and they think differently than the baby boomers who think differently than the generation Xers who think different than the millennials. Okay, so here's what, here's what grandpa Dennis is saying. Well, you know, you don't understand those, those millennials, they're just lazy. They're just born lazy. And, and, you know, I, the, the, you know, and, and so how the hell are you going to come in and fix up my lazy staff? Because they're all a bunch of young punk ass, lazy millennials born on an Xbox. <laughs> right. So we do, I do hear that. And I think you've got to shift your, um, what's going to motivate them. What I, the studying that I've done on millennials is that they are much more motivated by, um, 
um, helping the world. Some of them want to go and save the world. So if you can connect, what we're doing in this dental office is actually transforming people's lives through their mouth, transforming their health and get them more connected with that. But I also think um, that, yeah, they've got to step up and learn. You've got to get, be a good, great role model to them and say, look, you've got to step up and work, work really hard. But they might not always know what that is. There's a little bit of a generation where they've been given a lot of trophies for just doing average. And we all know that that's happened. Um, but I think you've got to, you've got to come to the heart with them, the heart and soul and get them to see that we're actually connect. We're, we're changing people's lives here. You are a part of something bigger than yourself. So I actually do think there's a searching for that. That's what I would say. I, I agree a hundred percent. Millennials seem to thrive on purpose. Yeah, In fact, purpose, I, see, exactly. I see millennials, uh, take a job at the uh, Indian reservation in Tuba city because it was more meaningful helping, yes. Yes. helping uh, Navajos than it was going to Beverly Hills and doing cosmetic dentistry on rich old ladies who want to look 10 years right. younger. <laughs> right. You know Absolutely. I mean? And so connecting with that. So the greatest generation, even the baby boomers, they were just taught you work hard, you make money. And, and that, that was just why you did it. And they, so this new generation, they've just got to connect with them. But just like you talk about in your book, you got to be a lifelong learner. You got to be a reader. You got to say, well, what are they doing differently? Because Every generation, though, looks at the other generation saying, I can't, you know, look at these kids these days, these kids these days. Every generation does that. And then look what happens. The generation comes and it transforms the world. So I think we've got to just look at every, there's opportunity everywhere. It's also about their mindset. If they've got a mindset that these teammates are not going to amount to anything, then that's what they're going to get. But one of the biggest things I think as a leader is if you can believe in somebody more than they believe in themselves, they are going to rise to the occasion. No doubt about it. Sally, I know that you can do an amazing temporary. I believe in you. Let's, I want to work with you and help you do that. You know, Joe, Joe, I want you, I know you can be a great dentist. I'm going to mentor you. Do you want to be, do you want to be mentored? We've got to believe in people more than they believe in themselves. Okay. I want, I want to take that same um, generation gap and apply it to marketing because here, here's, Maybe my friends are getting too old since I'm 53. But they said there, when you talk about digital marketing and social media, this is what they're going to say. They're going to say, Howard, every time I do a full mouth implant, denture, partial on grandma, she, she would know what, what Yelp was, the Google Plus, the Facebook. Everybody who gives me money doesn't know what any of this shit is you're talking about. And everybody who's staring at their Facebook doesn't have dental decay and isn't coming in and give me money. So all that social media, digital marketing is a bunch of horse crap. Well, what I would say to that is that uh, if you look at the world, there's about 7 billion people in the world, right? And there's a billion of them on Facebook. Actually, we've, we've surpassed that. That statistic was from months or maybe even a year ago. So people are on Facebook and, well, we just want to talk about Facebook because social media now, there's so many different aspects of it. Some, there are only younger kids on, but Facebook has got the you know, 25 to 45 year old women on it. And guess who's making most of the decisions for your family around healthcare? The women who are age 25 to 55. I mean, that's what it is. So they're on there. And even though you don't like Facebook, that is a community that's on there. And I mean, my friend Craig Spodak, he's got thousands and thousands of people that follow him. They're going gangbusters. And a lot of their patients say, I found you through Facebook. It's happening. So you can bury your head in the sand or you can say, let me learn about this. I mean, I know people in their 60s and 70s that if you don't like their photo on Facebook, they get mad at you. You know, you didn't like my – they're on Facebook. They're on social media. And everyone is reading reviews. Amazon really was the one that changed the reviews. It used to be, you know, that you had a book review just done by, you know, 
the New York Times or whatever. And now everybody can write a review. That transformed things. Now when we do all of our Amazon shopping, like I know my family, I'm a busy mom. So my kids, most of their Christmas presents came from Amazon. Well, you bet I'm reading all the other parents what they read. I don't know who they are, but somehow I'm trusting them. And that's what's happening. It's this trusting economy. That's why, you know, bringing up the Super Bowl again, we're going to see a bunch of commercials on there. People are going to watch those commercials because they're watching it live, but people generally aren't watching live TV anymore. Madison Avenue is trying to figure out how to get our eyeballs because people aren't watching TV. They're not looking at advertisements. So reviews are the most important things. And it's huge for dentistry. It's huge. They've got to get reviews. And since most of my fans are millennials, uh, every time I get an email from a dentist on the show, they're always under 30. Uh, man, I sure wish you'd write me a review for the, the Dentaltown app or the iTunes show uh, or my book on Amazon because it does, it does help your SEO. So if you could do that for me, that would, that would just be amazing. Um, I, I want to I go back. I want to go back when um, I, I, I want to say something and I want you to address the back door because, um, I, you know, I grew up in restaurant industries where, you know, my dad owned restaurants. And if you ever saw people coming into a restaurant, they're just so damn happy. And you go to Disneyland and all the kids are so happy to get in Disneyland. And then you switch to dentistry and you see the unhappy side. They're coming in, they got a toothache, they're in pain. I mean, dentistry is tough. But the thing that I think is a joke about everybody worried about corporate is, uh, is um, you know, if, uh, if a hygienist works 40 hours a week, 50 weeks a year, that's 2,000 hours. That means she could see 1,000 people for an hour, twice right. a year. Right. And if, she's get, and if you're getting 25 new patients, that means a month. That means every, every three years, you'd add another full-time hygienist. But being a dentist for 30 years, I don't see anybody, any dentist on earth that kept all their patients and not accepting new patients. I mean, you see a dentist that have been out there 25 years and they're still needing 25 new patients a month, which means they're losing 25 patients a month. And what I think what I see with the corporate is the corporate's back door seems to be wider open than anybody on the planet. I mean, if they get 100 new patients a month, they lose 99 of them that month. So it's a revolving door. Dentistry is so hard. Nobody's keeping customers for life. So, so I want you to talk about, um, you, you also have, um, uh, hygienemastery.com, but, but when you said about new patients, I, I don't like people talking about new patients and marketing and all that stuff because most of their patients are going out the back door and you, you were saying, you know, the best way to get more new patients, reactivate the old ones. So why, why do you think patients are leaving dental? So Michael, here's my question. Why do you think patients are leaving the dental office and not coming back? And why do you think the dentists listening to you right now who have had new patients for 10 years, why do they still need new patients after 10 years when they're a town of 5,000? You know, you know, you're in a town of 5,000 and 10 years later, you still need marketing on social media. So, so my question to you succinctly is why do, why does every dental office known to man lose patients every month? And how could we lose patients left? So we don't need to Twitter and Facebook our way uh, to success. Because they're not continually, continuously focusing on it. You have to continuously focus on delivering a different level of care. I know, Mrs. Jones, you'd hate coming to see the dentist, but we're going to give you an amazing experience anyways. Because if you have that mindset of like, we're going to make everybody's day today, then people are going to have a different experience. They're going to refer their, their friends and family. So it's also, so it's partly about intention, intend to keep those patients in there, but it's also about great systems. You have to pre-appoint people 
before they leave the dental practice. You just do. And people now are quote unquote busier than ever. Although I'm not exactly sure if I always believe that. I think we've always been really busy. I think we just have more information coming at us. So we feel like we're busier, but you've got to put pre-appoint people, but it's not just that. You've got to give them a reason to come back. And the reason that they want to come back is because they're totally connected with you. They're focused on you. You're, you're connecting with them in such a way where you're asking them not just about their mouth, but their whole health. And yes, you're asking them about their personal life and building rapport. But when you can connect with someone so strongly that they're not going to get... The, not that they're not going to get that from corporate, but they're going to get that less from corporate. They can't get you anywhere else. They can only get you at your dental practice and the team and the handoffs. So when the team is getting along and, and, the, and the systems are being followed for keeping people into the practice and people are really caring about that, about them, the patients will stay. If there's conflict within the team, if people aren't handing off correctly, if the systems are falling to the wayside, then there's not really a reason to stay and they can always go to their, their next, Oh, their buddy can tell them about another dentist that they can go to always. That's always how it is. Okay, Almost everybody that's ever contacted me, 99% from this show, they're all the dentists, but the dentist is back there staring at a tooth. And when the receptionist and the assistant, the hygienist aren't getting along and a new patient walks into the waiting room. Does she sense that? I think they can sometimes. I mean, I think, I think that these ladies sometimes think that they're Hollywood actresses and that they, and people can't tell, but I think people can tell. And so then the doctor has to stop the practice have a team meeting, go to a training university. Like we have these training universities where they actually shut down their practice. They come with other practices there. There'll maybe be 50 to hundred people in the room and we all mastermind. How can we be better when we go back in on Monday morning? And how are we going to not have it be business as usual? And what are we going to be thinking about and focusing on that transforms our lives? It transforms the lives of our team and our patients. We've got to be thinking about this all the time. And I think they just go back to business as usual. And it's just pick up the handpiece every day, pick up the Hampies, and they're not really saying, what are we going to do differently? How are we going to be different? What are we going to do today that is different than yesterday? I really believe that. So Diddletown has 50 forms, root canals, fillings, grounds. Under practice management, when you deal with on staff issues and you scroll down the list, the number one reoccurring problem that the title is, you know, I can't believe my hygienist wants a raise and uh, I, I'm, I'm barely paying my bills. So that, that that's one of those compromises. So what 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 do my homies do when the hygienist says, "Oh, can I can I um come back and see you uh, over lunch? I, I have a question to ask." And then she comes in and says, "says Doctor um, Kim McGuire, um, as you know, the planet has gone around the sun one more time, and I'm going to need another dollar because according to the zodiac, uh, every time the Earth goes around the sun, you give me another buck." And he's sitting there coughing up a blood clot because he's thinking I have, I have so much overhead. Okay. Well, so, so what's wrong? First of all, and, and it, you do need to look at, make sure that your uh, staff overhead is in line. And I totally agree with what your book says that 25% is appropriate for most dental practices. And, and there might be some differences around the country with some different um, socioeconomic areas, but generally we want a hygienist. Well, let me back up. Doctor, do you have daily goals for this hygienist? Are we scheduling to goal? Are we making sure that there's enough production in her in her schedule so that she can produce three times her salary? So if she makes 40, just using round numbers, she makes 40 bucks an hour, she needs to be producing at least 120, at least $120 per hour 
period, end of story. Like that is my absolute rule because if she wants to be making more then it's just, then that's when these doctors say that hygiene is a lost leader, which of course I do not believe in at all. I think the hygiene is the lifeblood of the practice, but she needs to be taking a look at obviously not doing inappropriate procedures, but are we, is our perio program in line? Are we doing FMXs appropriately when, 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 um, the patient needs it. Are we making sure that everything is, are we doing fluoride? What other adjunct services could we be doing so that I can be producing $120 an hour or whatever it is for your practice? It depends on your area and your fee schedule and all that. So I really think that it's about putting the onus on Miss Hygienist and saying, Susie, this is your operatory. This is your little business within my business. You need to be producing X amount. And if you produce over than that, I will consider giving you a raise. It needs to be about dollars and cents because the doctor is looking at dollars and cents. He or she is saying, we're collecting X amount of dollars a month and all this money's going out and the rest is for me. You know, it, they're looking at dollars and cents. So the hygienists need to, I think they need to look at themselves as business people more than they do perhaps. And that's what our hygiene mastery program does. And they've got to take a look at their own continuing education and where they can provide more value to their patients. You know what, uh, Kim, I think when we release your podcast, we should release um, the hygiene mastery that Shannon Richkowski the day after they get a one-two punch. I love it. I love it. I will can you, have can you set that up? I will set that up for yeah, you right away. You know away. her and then my son Ryan at dentaltown.com. And then, uh, in fact, I should just be dad at dentaltown.com, Ryan. Wouldn't that be better? You could just be son at dentaltown.com. Um, okay, but, but here, here, here's the problem. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw a monkey wrench in what you just said. My homies won't show their staff any of the numbers. They're not transparent. The staff, I go into staff and I say, nine out of 10 offices, what do we have to do to break even today? They say, I, I don't even know what we collected a month. And they'll say, well, what is your overhead? And they go, he, he's never showed us a number. And then I ask my homie, what, did you show your staff your numbers? And they go, I don't want them to see how much I make. And I go, well, you're, you're back here coughing up blood clots into a toilet. Um, you know, what? so so will you talk about uh, a con- Dentists are typically, well, all social animals, all monkeys and apes are control freaks. They, they all want to be the 400-pound gorilla, and they, they don't want to be transparent. Governments don't want to be transparent. China, North Korea, you know, most, most people, man-made institute, the Catholic Church doesn't want to be transparent. So, so how can you t- teach these, this dentist listening to you that if she was just, how open should she be with her numbers? Is there a problem if the staff sees that she just met that last year she made $150,000 a year. Yeah, I don't think so. It really what it goes down to is, is people's belief systems around money and belief systems around. It. So first of all, it's not appropriate for the team to know how much money the doctor spent or the doctor makes. Absolutely not. What is appropriate, though, is for them to understand what the five what the variable costs are of the practice that they can actually affect. And it is appropriate for them to know they can know what percentage of all the money coming in, the percentage that goes out to the team. And actually, our bonus structure that we have, our BAM bonus system, is based on that. It's based on being bare ass minimum. Bare ass minimum. That's right. Or the basic amount of money that the practice needs to bring in. But it is based on that percentage. So we need to take a look at a healthy dental practice. Hey, guys, you, you know, I always say this. So I want to say a couple things. Doctors, this is what you need to tell your team. You guys are the most expensive investment that I make in my practice, but the most important because I can't do it without you and you can't do it without me. So we're on this together and I'm happy to pay you all and we need to keep this in an appropriate percentage. The other thing I would say about, about goals and about dollar amount, here's the thing about human beings. People, um, 
People come to work for money, but that's not why they stay. They stay because they're a part of something bigger than themselves. And just like you say in your book, money is just a yardstick that shows you how much value you've given to another person. And people like to be a part of something. So it's like if you have a goal to do a million dollars and you chunk it down by the month and then by the day of what it's going to take, people get excited about that. Awesome. We hit the goal this day today. Tomorrow, we did, the next day we didn't hit it, but the next day we blew it out of the water. People can get excited about that. And that doesn't mean that they know how much money you make. But by the way, doctor, you've got a lot of bills. You went to dental school and undergrad. You probably are paying those off. And you put yourself out there. You have a business. You should be paid handsomely for that. I have no problem with that. They don't need to know the dollar amounts. But what they do need to know is I want a, the, the, you know, the, um, the hygienist to be producing $1,000 a day. We, we want the doctor to be producing four or $5,000 a day, whatever it is, so that they have something to go for. Every year in um, December and January, all across the country, all the fortune practices get into one ballroom and like in Denver here or all of Colorado, they drove from all around. It came into one ballroom in the Bay Area, New York, every place. And they do annual planning where they crunch their numbers. They begin with the end in mind. I always have a coaching call with my doctor. Doctor, how much money do you want to make this year? We have to begin with the end in mind. You want to make $200,000, $300,000, whatever it is. Great. Well, what's your profitability? Well, we have to take that first and then we have to figure out how much you need to produce and collect in order for you to take that home. Then we go to the practice and we say, okay, guys, this is how many days we're going to work. This is how much we want to make. So we chunk it down. And we really are open about that because that's the only way to measure whether you've done better or not. So I think that they need to maybe take a look at their belief systems around sharing numbers with their team and know that it doesn't mean that they know how much money you make. It's just about, um, it's about them. If you empower them to understand the numbers, they may start thinking more like business people. And then they're going to think, well, I'm a business person and I'm working for this practice. And if you put a bonus structure that is about a profit sharing, then they're saying, well, gosh, I want the practice to make more money. So I'm going to work harder. I'm going to do better at enrolling or I'm going to give Mrs. Jones amazing experience. And then it all, it it flows. That's how it works. It's not, there's no magic to it, (laughs) you know? So, okay. But, but, uh, you and I, I'm 10 years older than you, but what percent of dental offices have a budget for the beginning at the beginning of the year? What percent would you say? Well, the ones that work with us do. <laughs> I know, but but what percent? But what percent of the industry does? Very few. I mean, but give quantify it. Give give a number. Uh, I would say I'm going to say seventy percent. Maybe seventy percent do not. Don't, or do, do not. Yeah. So so basically, two thirds do not. Seventy percent do not. And so, if you're listening to this, I mean, do you want to be in the thirty percent? I mean, you just can't finish the year strong by random chaos, luck, accident. You got to have a plan, and and but they'll but they'll fly all the way to Key Biscayne to to a five week a five day occlusion occlusion, and and and, and then the, then they'll fly. I mean, they'll fly all over the country to learn about a sleep disorder. And it's like, okay, you're, you're going to learn sleep medicine and you don't even have a budget for 2016. And then, and then if they, and then I keep telling them if they, if they had all the, if they had all the budgets, bonuses, and they had the business, then they'd have the money to go play monkey dentistry anywhere oh, on earth. Absolutely. 
And so here's the, you brought up a great one, sleep medicine. I have a couple clients that are really getting into sleep medicine. It's not just about the doctor looking, we're learning about occlusion and learning about the airways and maybe getting a cone beam. It's about having every single team member understand how to talk to the patients about their lifestyle and their sleeping and their, their, um, all the symptoms that they're having so that we can enroll those patients in that treatment. Cause it can't just be all about the doctor. So again, this goes back to leadership and the doctor saying, okay, guys, in 2016, I really want to do a lot more sleep apnea because I'm really passionate about that. And I'm really passionate about helping people. These are the things I need you to know. These are the things I need you to understand. So shut down the office, do a training program and empower your team because that is going to help you implement what you've learned. Well, the Caesars called it circus circus where they would give the people what they wanted. So let's give our townies some uh, circus circus because they only want to know about clinical. What, 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 then that was one of your five things, uh, clinical technology, implant sleep. Are, are there any, go over the hot areas, whether it be CAD cam, lasers, implant, sleep medicine, short-term ortho. So what, what, what do you see out there in the real to real world where some of this stuff is making an impact? Well, I've probably drank the Serona Kool-Aid, but I definitely think digital technology and CAD cam technology, it, well, the future is here. It's already happening. Um, the the CEREC technology, the new releases of these of the technology is absolutely amazing how it can integrate also with the Galileos, the cone beam technology. Um, and patients are going to be expecting, it's like Fred, our friend Fred says, if you want to do two visits or do you want to do one visit? I mean, that's what people are going to want in the future. And by the way, that's what the corporate corporate entities are buying Cerex by the, uh, by the millions. In fact, um, at Cerex 30 last, last September, they gave uh, Pacific Dental Services an award for the, that, the one millionth restoration, Cerex restoration. So it's here to stay. So you've got to make sure that you're on top of that technology. For sure, I would say that is that is the biggest thing, digital technology. Um, and then, of course, yeah, uh, Invisalign or other short-term ortho is huge, especially with adults and people that's becoming a household name, Invisalign. So, you, you know, but here's what I always tell a general dentist, which I think, I don't know if most of your uh, listeners are general dentists or even specialists. This is good for specialists to hear, too. Even though a general dentist can do all of these things, I want them to do what they're passionate about. If you're passionate about placing implants, go learn it and do it. But if you're not passionate about it, then refer it out. It's just like you talk about time. You only have a certain amount of time. So do figure out what you're passionate about and then focus on that and you can outsource the rest. Or bring in an associate or a partner who has those skills that complement you. You know, So I think that's really important as well. Well, to answer your question, do specialists in the show, uh, I own Dental Town and Ortho Town. Or, 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 Ortho Town Magazine goes to uh, 11,000 orthodontists each month, and about 5,000 of them are on the website. They're big fans of the show, so you're talking to a lot of orthodontists. Um, yeah, I, I, I agree. Going back to the staff, the, the money is usually uh, third or fourth reason why they're working there. Do they like the people they're with? Do they feel good about what they're doing? Do they like their team? Same thing with dentistry. I, I don't want to rain on their parade. I mean, if your passion is is place in implants or sleep medicine or CAD cam, go do it. But I, but I just firmly believe that um, being a millionaire has nothing to do with whether you're an endodontist, a periodontist, a pedodontist, a prosthodontist. Business is business. I don't care if you're selling dentistry or donuts, um, all, all that. 
Um, you, you you mentioned the staff bonus system. Can you go over your staff bonus system? Sure, sure. Or, I'll is, just, that, or is that a secret trademark? Oh, no, it's not a secret. No, absolutely. Um, we are, we've come from total abundance. I'm happy to share it with you. So I'm just going to use round numbers. Let's, uh, let's say that we want to keep our staff salaries at 25% of what we collect every month. And our staff salaries are at $25,000. Well, then that would mean, of course, that we need to collect $100,000 to keep that in that percentage in line. We do use a three-month rolling average where we are looking at three months in a row. It does get paid out every month or it gets calculated every month, but we're using the last three months um, to, look at, to look at the numbers. And that really just takes away any um, ups and downs. You know, if you have a really low month, you don't want to be – some doctors are like, well, I don't want to give out a bonus at a really low month, but then you maybe have a really high month. So it just really evens everything out. So you're looking at in this example, if it's 25% – um, if we want to keep it at 25% and it's $25,000 going out to the team, anything over that $100,000 on the three-month rolling average, 20% of the overage goes into a bonus pool. So basically the doctor's saying, look, after $100,000, I have paid all my bills. I've gotten paid what I want to get paid. You guys have been paid what you want to be paid. Anything over that $100,000 is really a lot of gravy. There's going to be a little, a couple percentages in there for some supplies and a little bit here and there, but, and lab costs, depending on how you do your dentistry, but most of it then can go back to the staff. And then that creates a bonus pool. And that bonus pool might be, say it's $2,000. If everybody works the same amount of days, you can divide it up. But if they work different amounts of days, you can prorate it. The reason why we do it, the whole team gets to share is because just because a hygienist sees the patients, the administrative team needs to schedule them. So we all need to work together. It's an even, um, it's an even bonus. And boy, some of our practices are bonusing a tremendous amount because they're seeing that they can make more money that way than asking for a dollar raise. Plus, it's so exciting. If you have $1,000 to share with the rest of your team and the doctor gets excited because let's say in this, in this example, the um, average over the last three months was 110000 the doctor's going to give 2000 to the team, and he or she's making about 8000 more. So you should be excited about that. Hey, I'm going to throw another curveball at you. Curveball, throw it. So when I look at um, firemen, they show up to 100% of all the fires in Phoenix and put them all out. Yes. Um, policemen uh, aren't very good. Uh, when I was uh, um, in high school, they only solved and convicted and imprisoned about 10% of people who murder someone. And now they put a bunch of money and all that. Now it's only about 30%. You still got a two-thirds. They, they might not, they might know who killed you, but they're not going to take it to jury. They don't have enough evidence. But when I look at my at my uh, homies, we're in between police and firemen and the fact that um, when Dennis in America diagnosed 100 cavities, only 38 out of 100 get drilled, filled, and billed. So policemen are about 30% on murderers. We're about 38% on cavities and firemen get all the fires. Um, I, I don't, you think you're a good dentist. I don't think you're a good dentist. If two out of three people times you diagnose a cavity, it walks out the door and you think you're a good dentist because you use a rubber dam and this and that and this and that. And I'm looking at two out of three infections walking right out the door. How, and, and, and then a dentist could double his practice without any new patients. If he went from getting 38% of them drilled, filled and billed to 70, uh, 38, uh, 76%. So, so my specific question is, do, do you agree that if you raised your treatment plan case acceptance, that that's 
that's being a better doctor that, that, that make your mama proud. Um, because I mean that, isn't that our job? Isn't our job to fight infections? Yeah, to take the so, very so what, care of so what tips would you give to increase treatment plan acceptance? Cause I'll, I'll go into a town with two dentists in the same medical dental building. They got the same number of charts and one dentist does twice the revenue as the other one. And it all comes down to treatment plan acceptance and paying and getting treatment. So how can my homies get more than 38 out of 100 diagnosed cavities drilled, filled, and billed? All right. Well, your homies need to take a look at why do people buy things. First of all, nobody likes to be sold, but everybody likes to buy. Like People like to buy things, right? But they don't like to get sold. That feels yucky, right? So we need to be thinking about why do people want to buy things? People buy for emotional reasons and they back it up with logic. People buy for emotional reasons and they back it up with logic. It's like, why do people spend $80,000 on a car when they could spend $25,000 on a similar type of car or another car that takes them from point A to point B? Well, there's all these emotional reasons. I want to look good. I want to look sexy. I want people to think I'm successful. There's all these emotional reasons, but then they'll back it up with logic. Well, but it's very safe. And I'm going to get my kids to the mountain skiing very safely, right? So it's the same thing in dentistry. It's extremely logical, right? You find a tooth that needs a cavity, you diagnose the cavity, or you know it has decay and you diagnose the cavity, but we go to clinical with our patients and we talk and talk and talk and talk and talk. We think we're educating them and they have no connection. It's not connecting with them because you're not really connecting with what is going to motivate them to buy your dental treatment. And so I think that this goes back to our beginning, the beginning of our conversation. We've got to be more in touch with our own feelings and what's going on with the patient over there and talk to them about what's most important to them in their health. What's most important to them in their relationship with our practice? What is really bothering them? What's not just what their chief complaint is, but really what, what is, um, because it might be their health. It might be um, they want to look good. They want to have a beautiful smile. It might be they want to chew their steak till they're 90. It might be time. It might be like, hey, I'm, I don't have a whole lot of time. I need you to do like a whole quadrant all at once. Of course, they won't say quadrant. They'll say a whole side. But, you know, you got to figure out what makes this person tick. And you just and it also goes back to our conversation about social media. You, people think that everybody thinks like themselves. They don't. They think like they do. So you got to get out of your world and get into the patient's world and try and figure out what's going to motivate them to say yes to your treatment and then talk to them in those terms. Figure out what they want and then to act, tell them how your treatment is going to get them what they want. Because your competition are flights to Hawaii and flat screen televisions and all the stuff that we've been talking about. Okay. Well, well, okay. But when I go into an office, the assistants and hygienists tell me that if she starts and uh, pulls out the intro camera and starts explaining the assistant or the hygienist that they get in trouble because doctor uh, says that they're not doctors and they don't know what they're talking about and, and they're diagnosing and blah, and blah, blah. And then when I go into the offices that are just have really high treatment plan acceptance rates, Everybody has the freedom to educate. Yes, absolutely. I think that the first example that you said is just somebody, people need to take a look again at their belief systems. That is a limiting belief that the other team members cannot enroll these patients. In fact, they might believe the hygienists, the assistants more than they believe you, doctor, unfortunately. 
So it is a, in fact, when you get Shannon on, she'll probably talk about this, but it is a must for me that in the hygiene uh, room, that there's an intraoral photo that is taken and up on the screen. So when doctor comes in, they can talk about it. Now that might not be what they diagnose, but it's called co-discovery because co-diagnosis, we're not supposed to say that. So it's co-discovery. Hygienist is discovering, you know, um, Dr. Smith, Kim and I have been talking and we really are concerned about tooth number, number 29, you know, and so you can have the the picture up there. So they're visually seeing what's wrong. And then there's a talk over because you're actually talking about me, the patient, over me, and it's unbelievably impactful. You've got to empower your team to be able to do this. No, they're not going to diagnose. They're not the doctor. You're the doctor. However, they can help speed up the process of enrolling your patients by setting, teeing it up for you, and then you can say, yep, I can see that's true, or maybe we need to just take a look at that next time you come in for your next hygiene appointment, whatever it might be, although I don't like to see a lot of watches because I think we're, we get ourselves in trouble there. Well, you know what? They say it's illegal for a hygienist to diagnose. I'm just wondering in your career, Kim, how many hygienists have you met in prison that went to jail for diagnosing an x-ray? Zero. Zero. Zilch. I know. Yeah. Uh, Crazy. I want to keep on this diagnosis dream plan because I really think the best firemen are the ones that put out all the fires. The best policemen are the ones that catch all the bad guys. I just, if if I could have one gift for dentistry, it'd be, Get it, just get out of the infection. I don't care what you fill it with. I don't care if it's amalgam, IRM, Dical. Just get out of all the decay. Do you see any um, higher success rates with any of these technologies like um, KC or some of these apps like DDSGP? Or do you, or do you just like the intro camera or digital x-rays? What are there? I guess my question is, are there any aids that you think help close treatment plans? Or do you just think it's just the salesperson? Um, I do like DDSGP. I just, I've seen a couple times, a couple of demos with them. I think Casey is great. I don't think people use it. I don't think people use it. They have it in there. They have it on their computer. They're not using it. I think the intraoral camera of their actual mouth is the best coupled with sitting there and talking with the patient and actually talking to them about what their long-term goals are and what they really want out of their dental treatment, what they really want for their health. Um, so I think it's, it's partly, there are some great tools, but you've got to have a great, uh, person utilizing those tools, a utilizing them and utilizing them to the best of their ability. And then again, going back to the drawing board and saying, you know, taking a team meeting and saying, all right, so we've been using, let's just use DDSGP or Casey, or I know that some, there's some other, uh, education softwares out there. What, what's going great? What could we improve on? How, how, you know, you did really great when you explained X, Y, and Z, but on Mrs. Smith over here, you didn't do a great job. We've got to have open and honest communication with our teams in order to be able to figure out what are we doing great and what do we need to work on? Because that's what's really going to help you go to the next level. The other, so that's whole self-awareness. The other thing that people need to do, I love how you throw out the 38% and I love that statistic, but do people really know what their case acceptance statistics are? I don't really think they do. I think they have to start tracking. They They, they don't have any idea. No, they don't. They have to track it. Yeah. 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 Um, (laughs) Yeah. um, But I, I have to say one thing being an old timer is that, um, the first 10, 15 years, well, from 87 to 2000, when I had uh, digital, I mean, when I had x-rays and little one inch films on a view box or whatever. And I, 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 I was, uh, I, that was my world from 87 to 2000. And then when I switched to digital x-rays, which only half of the dentists in America have, and I could pull up that x-ray. Now it's 18 inches by 12 inches on a screen that 
I, I, I think, I, I think the intro camera I had at 87. I mean, I bought that back when it was $38,000, the Omni camera. It was the size of a refrigerator. It, you could have put a keg of beer in that damn thing. It was a monster. And everybody said, I'm not paying 30000 but I already saw that it added $30,000 or more dentistry probably in the first 40, 50 days. Um, but I, I think, uh, what would, but I, I think the dentists who are on film x-rays, I think digital x-rays are as powerful as yes. the camera. I, I would agree with that. Absolutely. And, and of course, all of the technology of these screens that we have. Um, the other thing that we, that we teach, and we talked a lot about people's modalities, how we communicate in different ways. So, uh, and, and uh, Tony Robbins goes into this a lot, but we communicate some people, well, we communicate with all three areas, but some people are stronger. Like you might be right-handed or left-handed, but if I'm right-handed, but if somebody cut off my right hand, I'd be able to write with my left hand if I had to. So some people are more visual and they talk with their hands and they, and they emote more. Some people are more auditory and they can hear things better. And some people are more kinesthetic and they, they have to feel that something's right. And they're, they're a little bit more um, emotionally connected. So most people, though, when they're deciding on their dental treatment are visual people. So you've got to put it up there. So I think it's both connecting with them emotionally and also figuring out where their modality is. And we have a whole two-day seminar that we teach all this stuff, but figuring out and then speaking to them in their language. See, see, Mrs. Jones, where you've got this crack in your tooth, like talking to them that way. Absolutely. You, you, know, what, you, you know what your best marketing would be? I mean, you don't need me. You don't need marketing. I mean, you guys have been doing this forever, but we put up uh, 350 online C course on dental town. And they've been viewed over half a million times. If you, you if you guys, uh, like if you put up an online C course and went over your, uh, five, uh, you know, your key parts to your five business engines or qualities of a successful leader or six areas of life mastery. I think a lot of people would get turned on to you guys. And I think you would, uh, reach a whole different level. Of, of people. Well, I'm going to, I'm going to, uh, I'm going to take that on Howard. I'm going to make it happen. Absolutely. And put your podcast on that, but I'm, I'm we're out of time, yep. but I'm going to, but I'm going to ask you one overtime bonus question that I am not allowed to ask because I'm a boy. And if I ask it, I'm considered a sexist pig, but there are conventions and meetings even put on in my own backyard, Arizona state dental association. Here's the nonprofit Arizona state dental association putting on seminars of, uh, women's issues in dentistry. So my last question, and I'm not even going to comment or whatever, but you're a woman and you've been in this thing forever. Do, are there any, when you're out there consulting, are there any women's issue that don't apply to short, fat, bald men like me? Do, do women have any special issues in dentistry? I uh, do see for the female clients that I work with, I do sometimes see a challenge with them um, crossing the friend versus I'm your boss line. They exactly. don't mean to. They and just, it's not yep. just women. The, 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 the next generation men don't do it. The baby boomers do it. But the millennial boys do that, too. So you're saying millennial dental male dentals are part girl? That's not what I'm saying, Howard. No, what I'm I saying, quote you on that. I think they want to connect though. They want to have a good time. They want to be like just one of the guys or just one of the girls. And there's a difference here. Like I hear what I have one female dentist who also is, is a millennial um, that I'm thinking about. And the way that sometimes her team speaks to her, I think to myself, Dr. So-and-so, the 50-year-old man, would never be spoken to that way. I don't know what it is. It's just something. So we're working on her leadership skills. And she's a beautiful leader. She's wonderful. But really setting those boundaries. And I think there is a unique uh, challenge that they have there. But, but I think den women dentists are fabulous. I love them. 
I love them too. Who could not? But 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 be a little more specific. What what behaviors do not just women dentists, but millennials, boy dentists too? What 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 uh, behaviors is crossing the line from friend to boss? Because if I go out and get drunk with you till three o'clock in the morning, how how can I write you up for being five minutes late the next day? Um, you know what I mean? So what what is there any specific behaviors where you say this is cross the line? You're no longer a boss, a leader that can fire you. And now you're too buddy, close friend. And now they're not going to respect you. Well, there could be the going out and drinking and everybody has different, you know, boundaries there. But I think it's really about, um, how much they share with them. Um, it, it, it's, there's not like a, it's not black and white. It's pretty gray, but I, but I, I'm thinking of another, another client and she just, she shares a lot with about her life. So she becomes just one of the girls. And then when they don't like something, they're like, well, we don't like the way you're doing that. Well, you said this this week and now you're saying this the other week. And what is it, you know, with this attitude and a team meeting and I'm going time out guys, it's inappropriate to say that there, there needs to be one thing I love about dentistry is that it's not corporate and it's fun and it's entrepreneurial and we're, we're, we're changing people's lives. But I do think a level of professionalism uh, could be increased. I think that there could be an increase in professionalism on both the doctors and the employees side, the teams. I think that, um, because uh, we're, we're out here saving lives and we're out here delivering beautiful smiles and it's a huge industry. And I think that there could be a little bit of an increase there. So my next door neighbor out on the front lawn, friend of a friend said, Howard, have you heard of this new dentist, blah, 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 the street? And I said, yeah. And through a friend of a friend, he's now, he saw, and he showed me his Facebook picture. And this guy, I'm 53. He's probably 68. He said, I feel sorry for the poor bastard that goes to that guy as a dentist oh, no. because he was, he was, he was at, at a party and, and, and he's posting this on his Facebook page and the grandpa next door just can't associate with someone doing a root canal or a bypass or an implant half naked at, at a swimming pool party. Right. Um, yeah. Crazy. But, uh, Hey, um, Seriously, I'm your biggest fan. I think we set a world record. We're both hundred percent Irish I- and two <laughs> Irishmen. We're with each other for an hour and there was no beer exchange. I know, I know. Well, but uh, hey, seriously, uh, thanks for all that you do. I'm your biggest fan. I, I, I mean, God, uh, for you guys to have Tony Robbins uh, for the length of time. Uh, thank you for all that you've done for dentistry. And thank you so much for giving me an hour of your life today. Absolutely. And Howard, right back at you. Namaste. Thank you for being who you are for in dental town and all of you, what you've created. And maybe I'll see you in Arizona in a couple of weeks at the, uh, at the meeting. Thank you for listening to the Practice Mastery Podcast. For more information on Fortune Management and to find an event in your area, please visit fortunemgmt.com.